Chapter Twenty Four of the Wheat Princess by Jean Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Collecting herself sufficiently to know that she must not cry out or alarm her aunt, Marcia hurried to the front staircase and stood a moment on the landing, hesitating what to do. Sybert was lounging in the doorway leading on to the loggia. She leaned over the balustrade and called to him softly so as not to attract the attention of the others. He turned with a start at the sound of his name and in response to her summons crossed the hall in his usual leisurely stroll but at the foot of the stairs as he caught sight of her face in the dim candlelight he came springing up three steps at a time what's the matter what happened he cried gerald marcia breathed in a sobbing whisper gerald he repeated anxious lines showing in his face good heavens marcia what's happened i don't know he's gone she said wildly come up here where aunt Catherine won't hear us she led the way up into the hall again and explained in broken sentences sybert turned without a word and strode back to gerald's room he stood upon the threshold looking at the empty little crib and tossed pillows it will simply kill uncle howard and aunt Catherine if anything has happened to him marcia faltered nothing has happened to him sybert returned shortly the scoundrels wouldn't dare steal a child every police spy in italy would be after them he must be with bianca somewhere he turned away from the room and went on down the stone passage toward the rear of the house he paused at the head of the middle staircase thinking the matter over with frowning brows while marcia anxiously studied his face as they stood there in the dim moonlight that streamed in through the small square window over the stairs they suddenly heard the patter of bare feet in the passage below and in another moment gerald himself came scurrying up the winding stone stairway looking like a little white rat in the dimness marcia uttered a cry of joy and sybert squared his shoulders as if a weight had dropped from them their second glance at the child's face however told them that something had happened his little white nightgown was draggled with dew his face was twitching nervously and his eyes were wild with terror he reached the top step and plunged into marcia's arms with a burst of sobbing gerald gerald what's the matter don't make such a noise hush dear you will frighten mamma marcia won't let anything hurt you tell me what's the matter gerald clung to her crying and trembling and pouring out a torrent of unintelligible italian sybert bent down and taking him in his arms carried him back to his own room no one's going to hurt you stop crying and tell us what's the matter he said peremptorily gerald caught his breath and told his story in a mixture of english and italian sobs it had been so hot and the nightingales had made such a noise that he couldn't go to sleep and he had got up very softly so as not to disturb mamma and had crept out the back way just to get some cherries a group of scrub trees cherry almond and pomegranate grew close to the villa walls in the rear while he was sitting under the tree eating cherries some men came up and stopped in the bushes close by and he could hear what they said and one of them was pietro here he began to cry again and the soothing had to be done over well what did they say tell us what they said gerald sybert broke in in his low insistent tones they said my papa was a bad man and they was going to kill him cause he had their money in his pocket and i don't want my papa killed he wailed marcia's eyes met sybert's in silence and he emitted a low breath that was half a whistle what else did they say gerald you needn't be afraid we won't let them hurt your papa but you must remember everything they said so that we can catch them 
pietro said he was going to kill you too cause you was ere and was bad like papa gerald sobbed go on sybert urged what else did they say they didn't say nothin more but went away in the grove and i was scared and kept still and it was all nero under the trees and then i swept in pianissimo and i found you and i don't want you killed and i don't want papa killed don't be afraid we won't let them hurt us and now try to remember how many men there were pietro and some others and they went away in the trees they questioned him some more but got merely a variation of the same story it was evidently all he knew marcia called granton to sit with him and tremulously explain the situation granton received the information calmly it was all she had ever expected in italy she said out in the hall again marcia looked at sybert questioningly she was quite composed gerald was safe at least and they knew what was coming she felt that her uncle and sybert would bring things right what shall we do she asked sybert with folded arms was considering the question it's evidently a mixture of robbery and revenge and mistaken patriotism all rolled into one it would be convenient if we knew how many there were pietro and gervasio's stepfather and your man with the crucifix we may safely count upon but just how many more we have no means of knowing however there's no danger of their beginning operations till they think we're asleep he looked at his watch it is a quarter to ten we have a good two hours still and we'll prepare to surprise them we won't tell the people downstairs just yet for it won't do any good and their talk and laughter are the best protection we could have you don't know where your uncle keeps his revolver do you yes in the top drawer of his writing-table she stepped into mr copley's room and pulled open the drawer why it's gone i say the plot thickens and sybert too uttered a short low laugh as copley had done on the terrace and the rifle's gone marcia added her glance wandering to the corner where the gun-case usually stood it's evident that our friend pietro has been helping himself but if he thinks he's going to shoot us with our own arms he's mistaken we must get words to the soldiers at palestrina did you tell me the servants were gone i couldn't find any one but granton the whole house is empty it's the camorra he explained softly the camorra marcia paled a trifle at the name ah it's plain enough we should have suspected it before pietro is a member and has been acting as a spy from the inside it appears to be a very prettily worked-out plot they have waited until they think there's money in the house your uncle had just sold a big consignment of wheat they have probably dismissed the servants with their usual formula be silent and you live speak and you die the servants would be more afraid of the camorra than of the police how about the stableman oh i can't believe they'd join a plot against us marcia cried angelo and giovanni i would trust anywhere in that case they've been silenced they are where they won't give testimony until it is too late i dare say the fellows are even planning to ride off on the horses themselves by morning they would be well into the mountains of the abruzzi where the camorists are at home we'll have to get help from palestrina if we could reach those guards at the crossroads they would ride in with the message it's only two miles away but-he frowned a trifle i suppose the house is closely watched and it will be difficult to get out unseen we'll have to try it though whom can we send he was silent a moment i don't like to leave you he said slowly but i'm afraid i'll have to go 
oh said marcia with a little gasp she stood looking down at the floor with troubled eyes and sybert watched her careless that the time was passing marcia suddenly raised her eyes with an exclamation of relief gervasio she cried we can send gervasio could we trust him he doubted anywhere and he can get away without being seen easier than you could and i'm sure he can do it he is very intelligent i'd forgotten him yes i believe that is the best way you go and wake him and i'll write a note to the soldiers sybert turned to the writing-table as he spoke and marcia hurried back to gervasio's room the boy was asleep with the moonlight streaming across his pillow she bent over him hesitatingly while her heart reproached her at having to wake him and send him out on such an errand but the next moment she had reflected that it might be the only chance for him as well as for the rest of them and she laid her hand gently on his forehead gervasio she whispered wake up gervasio Shh, silenzio dress just as fast as you can no you haven't done anything don't be frightened signor siberti is going to tell you a secret un segreto she repeated impressively put on these clothes she added hunting out a dark suit from his wardrobe and never mind your shoes and stockings dress subito subito and then come on tiptoe pianissimo to signor copley's room gervasio was into his clothes and after her almost before she had got back when undirected by bianca his dressing was a simple matter sybert drew him across the threshold and closed the door what shall we tell him he questioned marcia tell him the truth he can understand and we can trust him and dropping on her knees beside the boy she laid her hands on his shoulders gervasio she said in her slow italian some bad naughty men are coming here to-night to try to kill us and steal our things pietro is one of them pietro had that very afternoon boxed gervasio's ears for stealing sugar from the tea-table and your stepfather is one and he will take you back to castel vivalanti and you will never see us again gervasio listened with his eyes on her face and his lips parted in horror sybert here broke in and explained about the soldiers and how he was to reach the guard at the corners and he ended by hiding the note in the front of his blouse do you understand he asked do you think you can do it gervasio nodded his eyes now shining with excitement i'll bring the soldiers he whispered sicure signore sicurissimo and if they catch me he added i'll say the padrone has whipped me and i'm running away you'll do sybert said with a half laugh and taking the boy by the hand he led the way back to the middle staircase and the three crept down with as little noise as possible they traversed on tiptoe the long brick passageway that led to the kitchen and paused upon the threshold the great stone-walled room was empty and quiet and echoing as on the first day they had come to the villa the doors and windows were swinging wide and the moonlight was streaming in sybert shook his head in a puzzled frown what i can't make out he said in a low tone is why they should leave everything so open they must have known that we would find out before we went to bed that the servants were missing who usually locks up pietro you and i will lock up to-night he considered a moment we mustn't let him out within sight of the grove a window on the eastern side of the house would be best where the shrubbery grows close to the walls marcia led the way into a little storeroom opening from the kitchen and sybert gave gervasio his last directions keep well in the shadow of the trees across the driveway and down around the lower terrace creep on your hands and knees through the wheat-field and then strike straight for the crossroads and run every step of the way 
Capisi? Gervasio nodded, and Marcia bent and kissed him and whispered in his ear, If you bring the soldiers, Gervasio, you may live with us always and be our little boy, just like Gerald. He nodded again, fairly trembling with anxiety to get started. Sybert carefully swung the window open, and the little fellow dropped to the ground and crept like a cat into the shadows. They stood by the open window for several minutes, straining their ears to listen, but no sound came back except the peaceful music of the summer night, the murmur of insects and the songs of nightingales. Gervasio had got off safely. "'Now we'll lock the house,' Sybert added in an undertone, "'so that when our friends come to call, they will have to come the front way.' He closed the window softly and examined with approval the inside shutters. They were made of solid wood with heavy iron bolts and hinges. The villa had been planned in the old days before the police force was as efficient as now, and was quite prepared to stand a siege. "'It will take considerable strength to open these and some noise,' he remarked as he swung the shutters to and shot the bolts. They groped their way out and went from room to room, closing and bolting the windows and doors with as little noise as possible. Sybert appeared, to Marcia's astonished senses, to be in an unusually light-hearted frame of mind. Once or twice he laughed softly, and once, when her hand touched his in the dark, she felt that same warm thrill run through her, as on that other moonlight night. They came last to the big vaulted dining-room, which had served as a chapel in the devotional days of the Vivalanti. The three glass doors at the end were open to the moonlight, which flooded the apartment, softening the crude outlines of the frescoes on the ceiling to the beauty of old masters. Sybert paused with his back to the doors to look up and down approvingly. "'Do you know it isn't half bad in this light?' he remarked casually to Marcia. "'That old fellow up there,' he nodded toward Bacchus reclining among the vines in the central panelling, "'might be a Michelangelo in the moonlight, and in the sunlight he isn't even a Carlo Dolce.' Marcia stared. "'What could he be thinking of to choose this time of all others to be making art criticisms?' Never had she heard him express the slightest interest in the subject before. She had been under so great a strain for so long, such a succession of shocks, that she was nearly at the end of her self-control. And then to have Sybert acting in this unprecedented way. She looked past him out of the door toward the black shadow of the ilexes, and shuddered as she thought of what they might conceal. The next moment Sybert had stepped out onto the balcony. "'Mr. Sybert!' she cried aghast. They may be watching us. Come back. He laughed and seated himself sidewise on the iron railing. If they're watching us, they're doubtless wondering why we're closing the house so carefully. We'll stop here a few minutes and let them see we're unsuspicious. That we're just shutting the doors for fear of drafts and not of burglars. They'll shoot you, she gasped, her eyes upon his white suit, which made a shining target in the moonlight. Nonsense, Miss Marcia. They couldn't hit me if they tried. He marked the distance to the grove with a calculating eye. There's no danger of their trying, however. They won't risk giving their plot away just for the sake of nabbing me. I'm not King Humbert. They don't hate me as much as that. He leaned forward with another laugh. Come out and talk to me, Miss Marcia. Let me see how brave you are. Marcia flattened herself against the wall. I'm not brave. Please come back, Mr. Sybert. We must tell Uncle Howard. If Marcia did not know Sybert tonight, he did not know himself. He was under a greater strain than she. He had sworn that he would not see her again, and he had weakly come tonight. He had promised himself that he would not talk to her, that he would not by the slightest sign betray his feelings, 
and he found himself thrown with her under the most intimate conditions they shared a secret they were in danger together it was within the realms of possibility that he would be killed to-night the camorists had attempted it before they might succeed this time he actually did not care he had almost welcomed the notion ambition was dead within him he had nothing to live for and he was reckless he thought that marcia was in love with another man but he dimly divined his own influence over her once at least he told himself once before she went back to the boy she had chosen she should acknowledge his power she should bend her will to his he knew that she was frightened but she should conquer her fear she should come out into the moonlight and stand beside him hand in hand facing the shadows of the ilex grove he bent forward watching her as she stood in her white evening gown outlined against the dark tapestry of the wall her face surrounded by glowing hair her grey eyes big with amazement and fear he stretched out his hand toward her marcia he called in a low insistent tone come here marcia come out here and stand beside me or i shall think you are a coward she turned aside with a little shuddering gasp and hid her head against the wall what if they should shoot him in the back as he sat there sybert suddenly came to himself and sprang forward with an apology oh i beg your pardon miss marcia i didn't mean to frighten you i don't know what i'm saying he began closing the doors and shutters farthest away as he reached her side he paused and looked at her her eyes were shut and she did not move he closed and barred the last shutter and they stood silent in the dark marcia was struggling to control herself i shall think you a coward was ringing in her ears she had borne a great deal to-day from the moment when she had first seen the man asleep in the grass and now as she opened her eyes in the darkness a sudden rush of fear swept over her such as she had experienced in the old wine-cellar it was not fear of any definite thing she could be as brave as any one in the face of visible danger it was merely a wild unreasoning sensation of physical terror bred of the dark and overwrought nerves she stretched out her hand and touched sybert to be sure he was there the next moment she was beyond herself i'm afraid she sobbed out and she clung to him convulsively she felt him put his arm around her marcia my dear little girl there's nothing to be afraid of when they find we are on our guard they won't dare molest us nothing can hurt you it was so exactly his tone to gerald she would have laughed had she not been crying too hard to stop then suddenly his arms tightened about her marcia he whispered hoarsely marcia and he bent his head until his lips touched hers they stood for an instant without moving then she felt him become quickly rigid as he dropped his arms and gently loosened her hands they groped their way into the hall without a word and neither looked at the other they were both ashamed the tears still stood in marcia's eyes but her cheeks were scarlet and sybert was pale beneath the olive of his skin he stepped to the threshold of the salon ah copley he said in a low tone are you nearly through i want to tell you something copley waved him off without looking up shh it's a crucial moment don't interrupt the scores are even and only one hand more to play i'll be out in a few minutes marcia sat down in a chair on the loggia it was on the opposite side of the house from the ilex grove and besides her spasm of fear had passed everything was blotted out of her mind except what had just happened 
her thoughts her feelings were in wild commotion but one thing stood out clearly she had thrown herself into his arms and he had kissed her and then he had unloosened her hands she shut her eyes and winced at the thought she felt that she could never face him again and on the other end of the loggia sybert was pacing up and down lighting cigarettes and throwing them away he too was fiercely calling himself names he had frightened her when he knew that she was beside herself with nervousness he had taken advantage of the fact that she did not know what she was doing he knew that she was engaged to paul dessart and he had forgotten that he was a gentleman with a quick glance toward the salon he threw away his cigarette and crossing the loggia he sat down in a chair at marcia's side she shrank back quickly and he leaned forward with his elbows on his knees and his eyes on the brick floor marcia he said in a tone so low that it was barely audible i love you i know you don't care for me and i know you are engaged to another man i didn't mean to see you again most of all i didn't mean to tell you i had no right to take advantage of you when you were off your guard but i couldn't help it i'm not so strong as i thought i was please forgive me and forget about it marcia drew a deep breath and shut her eyes her throat suddenly felt hot and dry the rush of joy that swept over her made her feel that she could face anything she had but to say i am not engaged to another man and all would come right she raised her head and looked back into sybert's deep eyes it was he this time who dropped his gaze mr sybert she whispered a shadow suddenly fell between them and they both sprang to their feet with a little exclamation a man was standing before them as unexpectedly as though he had risen from the earth or dropped from the sky he was short and thick-set with coarsely accentuated features he wore a loose white shirt and a red cotton sash and though the shirt was fastened at the throat marcia could see the mark of the crucifix in his brown skin as plainly as if it were visible it's the tattooed man she gasped out but as she felt sybert's restraining touch on her arm she calmed herself the man took off his hat with a polite bow and an impertinent smile buonasera signorina he murmured buonasera friend of the poor i'm sorry to interrupt you but i come on business molto urgente what is your business sybert asked sharply my business is with signor copley what is this someone to see me copley asked appearing in the doorway well my man he added in italian what can i do for you uncle howard don't speak to him it's the tattooed man marcia cried there's a plot he wants to kill you an expression approaching amusement flitted over mr copley's face as he took his visitor over i wish to speak to the signori alone in private on urgent business the man reiterated looking scowlingly from one face to another he did not understand the foreign language they spoke among themselves and he felt that it gave them an advantage don't speak to him alone sybert warned he's dangerous well what do you want copley demanded peremptorily say whatever you have to say here the man glanced at marcia and sybert and then shrugging his shoulders in true italian fashion turned to copley i wish the money of the poor he said the money of the poor i haven't any money of the poor si si signore the money you stole from the mouse of the boar the wheat money marcia shuddered at the word wheat it seemed to her that it would follow her to her dying day ah so it's the wheat money is it well my good man that happens to be my money 
i didn't steal it from the mouths of the poor i bought the wheat myself to give to the poor and i sold it for half as much as i paid for it and with the money i intend to buy more wheat in the meantime however i shall keep it in my own hands you don't remember me signori but i remember you we met in naples copley bowed on which occasion i put you in jail a pleasure i shall avail myself of a second time if you trouble me any further i have come for the money you fool do you think i carry thirty thousand lira around in my pockets the money is in the banca d'italia in rome you may call there if you wish it the man put his hands to his mouth and whistled ah it's a plot is it copley exclaimed see si, signori it is a plot and there are those who will carry it out he turned with an angry snarl and before sybert could spring forward to stop him he had snatched a stiletto from his girdle copley threw up his arm to protect himself and received the blow in the shoulder before the man could strike again sybert was upon him and had thrown him backward across the balustrade at the same moment half a dozen men burst from the ilex grove and ran across the terrace and one of them it was pietro levelled the stolen rifle as he ran back into the house sybert shouted and barred the salon windows he himself sprang back to the threshold and snatched out his revolver you fools he cried to the italians in front we're all armed men we'll shoot you like dogs for answer pietro fired the rifle and the glass of an upper window crashed sybert closed the door and dropped the bar across it he faced the excited group in the hall with a little laugh if that's a specimen of his marksmanship we haven't much to fear from pietro he glanced quickly from one to the other marcia in the salon was slamming the shutters down mrs melville and mrs copley were standing in the doorway with white faces too amazed to move copley in the middle of the hall with his right arm hanging limp was dripping blood on the marble pavement while he loudly called for a pistol and melville was standing on a chair hastily tearing from the wall a collection of fourteenth-century florentine arms pietro's got your pistol sybert said but i've got five shots in mine and we'll do for the sixth man with one of those bludgeons i ought to have shot that tattooed fellow when i had the chance he's the leader but i'll make up for it yet a storm of blows on the door behind him brought out another laugh the door is as solid as the side of the house they can hammer on it all night without getting in the assailants had evidently arrived at the same conclusion for the blows ceased while they consulted a crash of glass in the salon followed and sybert sprang in there calling to melville to guard the hall window the shutters held against the first impact of the men's bodies and they drew off for a minute and then redoubled the blows they were evidently using the butt of the rifle as a battering-ram and the stoutest of hinges could not long withstand such usage with a groan one side of the shutter gave way and swung inward on a single hinge put out the lights sybert called over his shoulder to marcia and he fired a shot through the aperture the assailants fell back with groans and curses but the next moment raising the cry avanti avanti they came on with a rush the camerist leading with the stolen revolver in his hand sybert took deliberate aim and fired the man slowly sank to his knees and fell forward on his face his comrades dragged him back marcia in the darkness behind shut her eyes and clenched her hands it was the first time she had ever seen a person die and the sight was sickening 
the men withdrew from the window and those waiting inside heard them consulting in low angry guttural tones the next moment there was a crash of glass at the hall window which opened into the loggia and again the rifle as a battering-ram ah said sybert under his breath and he thrust the revolver into marcia's hand quick take that to melville and bring me one of those spiked truncheons we'll make em think we've got a regular arsenal in here marcia obeyed without a word and the next moment shots and cries rang out in the hall she had scarcely placed the unwieldy weapon in sybert's hands when another man thrust himself into the salon opening they had evidently determined to divide their forces and attack the two breaches at once both marcia and sybert recognized the man instantly it was tarquinio the son of domenico the baker of castel vivalanti tarquinio you fool go back sybert cried ah uh, ah uh, signor ziberti the young fellow cried as he lunged forward with a stiletto you have betrayed us sybert shut his lips and reversing the truncheon struck him with the handle a ringing blow on the head tarquinio fell forward into the darkness of the room and the moonlight streamed in on his bloody face sybert bent over him a moment with white lips you poor fool he muttered i had to do it the next moment marcia uttered a joyous cry that rang through the rooms listen a silence of ten seconds followed while both besieged and besiegers held their breath the sound was unmistakable a shout far down the avenue and the beat of galloping hoofs the soldiers she cried and the men outside as if they had understood the word echoed the cry i soldati i soldati the next moment a dozen carabinieri swept into sight the moonlight gleaming brightly on their white cross belts and polished mountings the men on the loggia dropped their weapons and dashed for cover while the soldiers leaped from their horses and with spiked muskets chased them into the trees sybert hastily bent over tarquinio and dragged him back into the shadow is he alive marcia whispered he's only stunned and poor fellow he doesn't know any better he was nothing but their dupe it's a pity to send him to the galleys for life they dropped a rug over the man and turned into the hall which was hot with a smell of powder and smoking candles sybert threw the door wide and let the moonlight stream in it was a queer sight it looked upon copley weak from his wound had collapsed into a tall carved chair while the two ladies in blood-stained evening dresses were anxiously bending over him melville with the still smoking revolver in his hand and a jewelled dagger sticking from his pocket was frenziedly inquiring for the lord's sake has any one got any whisky gerald in his white nightgown and little bare legs was howling dismally on the stairway while granton from the landing looked grimly down upon the scene with the air of an avenging nemesis the next moment the soldiers had come trooping in and everything was a babble of cries and ejaculations and excited questions in the midst of the confusion mrs copley suddenly drew herself up and pronounced her ultimatum on the very first steamer that sails we are going back to america to live marcia uttered a little hysterical laugh and melville joined in and i think you'd better go with them my boy he said laying a grimy hand on sybert's arm i suspect that your goose is pretty thoroughly cooked in italy sybert shook the elder man's hand off with a short laugh that was not very mirthful i've suspected that for some time and he turned on his heel and strode out to the loggia where he began talking with the soldiers poor fellow melville glanced at marcia and shook his head it's a bad dose he murmured 
i have a curiosity to see what grace he swallows it marcia looked after sybert with eyes that were filled with sympathy she realized that it was a bitter time for him though she did not know just why but she had seen the spasm that crossed his face at tarquinio's cry you have betrayed us she half started to follow him and then she drew back quickly through the open door she had caught a glimpse of sybert and a soldier bending over the camorrist's body they had opened his shirt in front and she had seen the purple crucifix covered with blood she leaned back against the wall faint at the sight it seemed as if the impressions of this dreadful day could never leave her End of chapter twenty four